from the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Edward Adelon's episode and our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode, so if you like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The links to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So, JP, we are batch recording, so we don't have any personal progress. Um, No, we don't. But I have a question for our listeners. So, Kindle Vela has now added reader polls, so you can ask questions to your readers. So, I would love to hear what you guys think about them how you're using them. Are you using them to guide your story for like what's going to happen in the next episode or other engagement? I want to hear all the things that you are doing with polls. Yeah. I, I want to do something with them. I have no idea what to do with them. (laughs) That's my problem. I did one for um, like the last episode of Molecule Thief, but I forget what I put. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I forget. Oh, yeah, I, I, put, I put a question for the end of season two um, about how people would like to see the direction of season three, whether they would like to see the main character, Spencer, and the antagonist, Molecule Thief, working together or fighting each other. So that was the mm. question that I had put in the polls. And I guess we'll see if I get any answers. Yeah. 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 I I almost want to like go back and put some polls in the first few episodes. Uh, just to maybe get a consensus of any new readers that come in. But at the same time, I have no idea what I would even ask there. Yeah. And so I don't know. I've kind of like, I know about it. I just don't know what to do with it now. At this point, it's almost like too late for me. Yeah. I'd love to know if people are going back and using that because I'm like, I don't know what to do there. Cause it's like, what would you like to see? It's too late now. I'm a hundred episodes in. So, you know, I can't what would you really... like to see? Too bad. <laughs> too bad. You're getting what you get. So, yeah. Tell us all the things, um, social media, our website. We want to hear from you. What are you doing with those polls? Yeah. Tell us all about them polls. So JP, let's talk about Later Press. So Later Press is a platform built to help authors uh, declare their independence. It lets authors create digital books and sell them directly to their readers through their own branded website. And there are new things uh, coming to the platform every day. In terms of discoverability and new features, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So I actually, I put nerds on Later Press and it was a really easy and really fast uh, process, which was pretty cool. And one of the cool things was you can put a collection and then you can put your, uh, like we put nerds in the collection uh, so that ideally if we do any spinoffs or if we do any like season two or like specifying those pieces, you can put those books in the collection, which is yeah. really nice. And it's a really nice way of like hierarchical, hierarchical uh, pieces to it, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it basically gives you your own website. Ours is nrds.laterpress.com. And you just direct your readers straight there and they see nerds. It, it doesn't get blocked by anything else. There are no ads in the way. There are no, like nothing. It's just straight up nerds content for your readers to get straight to reading, uh, which is uh, 
different than some other platforms, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And I did the same thing. Um, although I uploaded uh, all of my books to a collection just so I had one place, you know, to, to direct mm-hmm. readers. And so I have Molecule Thief, Dark is Away, and the Steampunk Emerald Key is up there. So it's one link. People can see all your books and you can order them whatever way you want, uh, you know, or your yeah. cereals. You can put cereals up as well. And uh, yeah, and you can do it on a subscription model or pay per book. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, which was a, a really cool. Yeah, yeah, the pricing thing was pretty cool. Figuring out uh, either doing per book or some type of a subscription model, uh, just to kind of give your readers different abilities to uh, support you. Because some people really like the, you know, it's basically like a Patreon, but yep. you just get content to read. Yep, and the cut is just five percent. Yeah, okay. so test it out. Try it out. Yep, laterpress.com. See you later, press. So we start off with a character with a spotty memory and a surprise gun. How do you think about crafting hooks that will draw a reader into your stories? So I don't remember a time when I was like, how am I going to start Mandala? So I don't know if I just forgot or if it was just obvious from the start. Um, I really like the opening line that I chose because it kind of sets up the main question of the book and also kind of the theme. I don't really think about theme before I write, but kind of does that. So I would say that a hook, it should tell something about what the reader should expect. So what they're going to get and then present a question about, and the question I think probably should be what, what's going to happen next. So answer, what am I getting into? Have them ask, what's going to happen next? And I think it should be, should be a scene you're excited to write. Um, I think if you're writing something, you're like, well, you know, the reader has to know this. I got to tell them this, uh, but I got to get through this so I can get to the this other part. I think you should maybe find a different way to present that information. So talking on theme, um, we looked into it and we came up with our little like statements or armatures about it that we picked up from your first episode. Uh, one being that, you know, survival is about knowing who to trust or maybe unconscious actions are dangerous actions. Uh, I'm curious, how do you approach theme and how does that process look like for you? So like I said, I don't ask like what's the theme is before I'm writing. I think it's something I discover as I'm writing it. Um, Mm -hmm. So feeling like what, what kind of feelings and do I want to explore with this writing? What feelings can I explore with this writing? Um, so with Mandala, um, nostalgia, I think, is and memory, this idea of looking back. Because when I look back, I have memories that I'm not sure if they were dreams. I don't know if you ever experienced that where you're like, did I dream that? I've had, you know, I've seen some movies I've seen as a kid where I'm like, that couldn't have been real. That couldn't have been a real movie. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the peanut butter solution. Uh, it's this very strange Google it. It's a, it's a, it's, it's wild, but it's very, I think it was French Canadian film, but it involves kids and magical paintings and peanut butter to grow your hair or something. And I thought I dreamed it for the longest time until I found it. And I was like, Oh, I remember that. So that's kind of a feeling that, that feeling of realizing something you thought was a dream is a memory or that feeling of nostalgia. When you look at, and you th- or in a uh, certain setting or you see something that reminds you and you're like, what does this remind me of? Um, Some memories, dreams. So those feelings are what I wanted to 
dig into with Mandala. So really, does that fit with this story that I'm writing? The plot, the characters, can I really dig into this? And when I was first writing Mandala, I knew I wanted to explore this, you know, um, dreams, nostalgia, and just uh, memories. And I was kind of worried. I was like, I don't know if I'm able to dig into all to it as much as I want to. But as I, as I wrote it, as it progressed, I've really been able to get, get into the theme. Yeah, I like that. And I think a lot of us do that too. We don't know what our theme is until we write it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of refine the point your compass that way. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious about how you craft uh, characters. Specifically, Paul is a very interesting character. <laughs> he just seems to want to live this party life, but I think he needs to get really serious about some stuff. <laughs> How do you go about um, making your characters like in terms of wants, needs, and personalities? So I think I think the plot comes first, but it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. Um, I definitely have a vague idea of what kind of archetypes I want the characters to embody. Um, with the team, the main uh, team of Mandala, the actual uh, assassin team, um, each character kind of fills a role or a type of person that I needed in the story that I wanted to have on hand for the plot. And so I gave them a loose structure like that. And then, okay, so I need, they do this in, in the plot. This is something that they do. What kind of person would do that? And then, so the plot builds on the, on what kind of person they are. And then you can use that to inform decisions about the plot later. So it's kind of a feedback loop almost. Um, I think I, there was a, I saw on Twitter, someone asked, you know, about character motivations. And I think I said that my characters are somewhere between, you know, you hear, I hear a lot of authors talk about, oh, my characters have a mind of their own. They tell me what the, what's going to happen in the story or they, they decide I try to make them do something and they're like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. And then there's, uh, Vladimir Nabokov. He said his characters are galley slaves. So I think my characters are somewhere between between that, but maybe closer to the uh, galley slaves. <laughs> but on, on the topic of plot, I'm actually really curious. So we broke down this first episode in the terms of a three C's, or in this case, four C's, uh, with the conflict being that, you know, Paul doesn't want to go to his court-manded therapist. Um <laughs> But that'll bring him a lot of heat if he doesn't go. And so the choice is that he then goes. Uh, and that consequence is that Paul tells the therapist about his dreams. And then you leave us with this wonderful cliffhanger uh, with the therapist making a call uh, that someone's after Paul and pulls out a gun. <laughs> so I'm curious, how do you go about plotting your episodes and what does that process look like? So I think the way I plotted the office job which is the first book is a, is a bit different than the way I pl definitely different than I applied the second book and the third book. Um, the office job was really just me hopping in feet first into the world, into the way it works and in the midst of it, in the midst of a job and exploring, how does that look? How, what happens when they're trying to assassinate this person in this way? Um, so that one, I had a loose structure, but I kind of just went through it and then, I went back and ironed it out, but generally I very loose outlines. Um, if I outline too much, I just get it uh, ahead of my, in my own way, I guess you could say the, the hardest episodes to write are the ones where I have a lot of text 
on the word document. It's like, Oh, this is going to happen. And it's going to, you know, this, they're going to do this and that is okay. How do I turn that into actual episode? The easiest ones to write are where I just have like one, a few sentences. And I just, I think the one I put out a couple of weeks ago that involves a, uh, uh, burger joint um, was one of the easiest ones to write. It's after I wrote it, I was like, what is different? Why is this so easy? So I had to kind of learn that, um, that I do a lot better with loose, really loose framework. So yeah, just, uh, I know how it ends, what they're trying to do and a few set pieces, I guess you could say that I really want to have fun with along the way, but really loose outlines. Nice. So you just talked a little bit there about using senses and you have a lot of beautiful sensory images and experiences in your serial. What techniques do you use to incorporate senses into writing? I try to put myself in that place that I'm describing. Um, Like I said, a lot of feeling. Um, So I think about what uh, catches my attention the most about a specific place. So, and I kind of have to look at it from the point of view, especially with Mandala, it's kind of one of the themes, I guess, is looking at things that you see every day with a new, from a new perspective. And one of the uh, things that really uh, helped me with that was I was reading John Updike and it was, I think it was the first rabbit run book. And he talks about Texas. I've lived in Texas my entire life. So it's hard for me to see like, Oh, well, Texas, you know, this uh, everything's flat. That's just how the world is. The world is flat. And, you know, but there's a sentence, a line where he describes being there and he's like oh well everything's flat and the, the horizon is no higher than your knees and this like wow <laughs> i never thought of that but that's exactly right yeah that's how it looks so I, I try and look at it from okay i've never seen this before never experienced this what really jumps out at me or if you if i'm remembering something because I, I use aids i use like you know google earth and look at pictures and try and go to the place i'm writing about but I also, before I do that, I try and remember it. So what is the most vivid aspect of this memory? And that's what I'll focus on describing. Yeah, I love that. I remember um, reading somewhere that Ray Bradbury used to go back to like his childhood spots to get those sensory details, <laughs> to get those things that you remember. So that's cool. I think that's a great tip. But you use an unreliable narrator in this serial. Do you have any tips uh, you can share for writing uh, an untrustworthy character? I think it's because I have such a bad memory myself. (laughs) (laughs) I have an infamously bad memory um, and poor focus, I guess I would say. I don't know if that's why I'm drawn to writing so much, but I'm trying to be more present, you know, the past couple of years because it has, you know, it's difficult moving through life when you're kind of just on autopilot. I think there's a, a, a line in the opening where it talks about Grady moving through auto, on autopilot, driving home and not remembering how I got there. That ha, that's happens to me all the time. Um, so maybe it's just firsthand experience <laughs> knowing <laughs> that I can't really trust my memory. And also as I, you know, was that a dream or did I, that actually happen? So what, what is important to the unreliable narrator? Like what, what if, if they're not sure about certain aspects of their memory or, or what's around them, what it would be important to them and then nail that down. And then everything else is just kind of vapor, I guess you could say kind of not important to them. So kind of, you can't really focus on it. You can't trust it too much. Nice. That's good advice. Yeah. I like, I like that. that. Yeah. yeah. 
So I'm curious, earlier you were talking a little bit about Burger Punk. What is Burger Punk and what makes for a good Burger Punk story? <laughs> so, um, like I said, when I, when I first, I had the aesthetic, I knew what Mandala was going to look like because I see when I write in my head, I'm like, okay, I see what it's going to look like. Um, so I went looking for images that kind of describe this. You know, I, li- I live in DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth uh, area of Texas, and I would say that it is probably the most burger punk place on the planet. It has the most highways, I think, of any metroplex, just highways, strip malls, uh, housing developments just stacked on top of each other because, um, you know, Texas, everything could just spread to massive proportions. Um, so burger punk, I was looking for images that kind of just captured that feeling because um, for me... And I see like highways or like a GameStop and a strip mall or like a fast food drive through, you know, it has like kind of that scenery has a reputation for being ugly or, you know, hideous. But for me, it's very nostalgic because some of the best times of my life are going to rent a game with my friends or going to a fast food restaurant late at night with my friends or family or something, you know, just this is the setting. The scenery is where most of the best parts of my life have taken place. So I have like a positive nostalgia for it. So Burger Punk, I was looking for images that kind of captured it. And I saw, I think the image that's most associated with it is that, uh, you know, a strip of gas stations and on the, uh, on the access road, I think it is. So I think it started, um, as kind of a meme on 4chan. There was like, uh, you know, what, what describes this feeling? Cause everyone, you know, people were, it's kind of like liminal spaces. People see it and they're like, I get this feeling from it. What is this? How do we describe it? Um, so there were some stories written. I think there was like a compendium of short stories that people wrote about it. Um, and there's also, I have to, to kind of plug, there's one on railroad called pizza time, burger punk pizza time. And I think the author is on railroad listed as burger punk. Um, (laughs) but they all kind of had this, they all dealt with like fast food restaurants and like, um, I would say snow crash is burger punk. You know how he's a, he's a a pizza deliver delivery in the near future. And it's kind of anarcho-capitalist ish, uh, set up, uh, with all the corporations running everything. And, uh, so it's like all the capitalist stuff turned up to 11, I guess you could say. Um, so all mm-hmm. the stories that I read that were labeled as burger punk kind of explored that or similar to that. But for me, I just wanted that feeling of, okay, here's something mundane that we see every day and there's an emotion attached to it. There's a feeling of familiarity or nostalgia attached to it. And how do I, tap into that how do i describe that feeling and why do i have this feeling when i see these things so for me a burger punk is it's everyday america it's this kind of just almost ugly banal uh you know just highways strip malls all that stuff and Walmart sameness yes <laughs> <laughs> yes and how what what if there's going to be some magic happening here what what is it how can i create something fant- fantastic or exciting in this setting that's really cool. I love That's it. Cool. So let's talk about guns. <laughs> so <laughs> you feature several guns in, in Mandala. And uh, even in this first episode, you describe a, a weapon all the way down to the grip. And uh, you have, you know, your Pinterest features weapons as well. I'm curious, how important is it for your genre to feature specificity in weaponry? And how might 
an author with zero to no experience start researching how to be more accurate with their weapons? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's really important in thrillers. Um, action thrillers. Uh, it's like, I, I don't think I've read a thriller yet that doesn't describe like the caliber and get really specific on the guns. Um, just to give it that level of realism, I think it's trust in the author. If you, you know, you read an author and they're like, okay, this, this gun, this caliber, it's chamber for this round, or this is how it, how it feels when it shoots. This is its range. This is what it can do. This is how you would utilize it. You're like, okay, this author knows what they're doing. I trust that this character is really using this gun and I can trust that the shootouts and the things they do with this weapon could really happen. And that helps me get into it. So if I didn't have any knowledge of guns and I was trying to get into it, um, you could just go down to your local gun range if you have one and just be like, you know, maybe take a, I don't know, we kind of, we have concealed carry courses here, but they're kind of not really important anymore because we have the constitutional carry right now. So maybe just a gun safety class to get started or just find your local gun nuts and be like, hey, I don't know anything about guns. Uh, can you help me out? And, you know, they will probably love to tell you all about them. Um, but if you're just strictly internet, if you're like, no, I'm not going to go out and talk to people. Uh, <laughs> I would think, like I said, YouTube videos, um, just see how they operate and look into different calibers and how a weapon actually, you don't have to get down to the like nitty gritty of the function, like the nuts and bolts inside <laughs> if you don't want to, but uh, yeah, just, videos see it just and any gun you're like that looks cool look up that gun and find everything you can out about it you know start from there and then i think that'll make it easy that'll make it easier if really? you like yeah. i like rifles or oh what's that you know giant sniper rifle it's 50 cal or i would like the little compact handgun or whatever you think is cool learn about that one first definitely i uh, i couldn't agree more with uh the potential to take either a gun safety or a hunter safety course because i think more people should take them regardless of if they are participating or just to be aware yeah just in case there's an apocalypse or <laughs> <laughs> you never know <laughs> you never know <laughs> uh i have watched a lot of youtube videos about guns that's true so switching gears a bit, I'm just curious if you have any favorite resources or craft books that you would recommend to other authors, offers, authors. <laughs> um, Stephen King's on writing was really good. Um, the Z uh, Zen in the art of writing by, I think you, you mentioned Ray Bradbury earlier. Uh, that was really good. Um, I think I like that one better than the Stephen King one. Um, it talks about, what is this? He has like a, a phrase. Don't think something to that, something to that effect, but that one was really good. And just getting it out. Um, just not getting in the way of yourself and your writing and getting into the habit. I'm trying to think of what else I read. I don't know how to say her name. Uh, I've read like a ton of her books. I don't I never know how to pronounce her name. Ursula K. Can you finish it oh, for Le me? Le Guin. Le Guin. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say Lagoon, Lagoon or something. And Steering the craft is a good yes. one. Yes. Okay. I read that one. That one was pretty good. <laughs> In fact, I, I read that one and she, I think she made like a, a jab at uh, the guy who wrote uh, Get Shorty. Oh, yeah. Uh, Elmer, uh, Elmer Leonard. Leonard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think she made a jab at him. So that incentivized me to go read his books. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the Steering the Craft is a good one. 
So you're on several different serial platforms, including yes. Vela, Later Press, NeoVel, and Patreon. Uh, can you tell us about your experiences and what you've learned about those different platforms? Yeah, so Vela is the gorilla in the room because it's backed by Amazon. Um, they're gonna throw money at it till the till it, you know till it works. <laughs> um, it's Later Press is probably the newest one. Um, I think most people listening are familiar with Kindle Vela. Um, Later Press is is very new. Um, I'm really excited to get in on the ground floor. I guess you could say of it. Every interaction I've had with the team has been wonderful. Um, I really like the format. Uh, you can have a yearly subscription or you can release your episodes as bundles. So there's a lot of wiggle room. Um, I have Mandala set up as a collection. So I have the multi, uh, two books right now under the, in the collection Mandala. Um, cause a lot of serial platforms, it's difficult, especially with Mandala. Cause I have volumes and then books and volumes and the episodes and books, so I don't want to have every single episode in a single place. I want to have them broken up and sectioned, you know, hierarchies and all that. So Later Press seems really good about that. Neovel is, uh, it's, it's older than Later Press, but I don't think it's that old. I think it's been just a couple of years. Um, I believe it was started, it was started with a Kickstarter. Um, they have a, they give authors a share even if you don't put your book in premium, they give all the authors a share of the revenue, I think, from ads. So you can see you, you're getting X percentage of the uh, the income this month and here how much, how much it is and how much you're getting. So it's really transparent about that. Their Discord, their community is really nice. Um, they're kind of like later press in the sense that they have, a, I think, it, I guess it's like a rich text editor. You can like put links and uh, all kinds of stuff in it images if you want so what else oh i have it on patreon um which i'm currently in the process of uh putting links in my patreon post to the next episodes because it's not really when you look at a patreon post it's not like here's the next one uh it's like you have to go back to the main page so i'm doing a table of contents and putting links in the bottom of all my patreon posts like next episode previous episode so i'm kind of having to but i've done that before because before i had mandala on some other free sites before I took it down and put it on Kindle Vela. I had on Royal Road and this blogging, like crypto blogging. I think it was on Publish OX. And so I had to put the next previous links in all the episodes. But yeah, I would definitely, NeoVel is international. So that's another thing. Um, that's the main reason, one of the reasons I had it on there. Uh, and you could put, if you're a Kindle Vela author and you want to put it on NeoVel, you can, I think they, require one episode be non-premium so maybe if you have a prologue or something that's why i did i i wrote a prologue to be the free episode and then every other episode the rest of the episodes are behind a paywall so it, uh you know it goes with uh vela's terms of service great so as a final question what would you say to someone looking to start a serial i would say have a story that you want to work uh stick with for years that if you have like a setting or an idea or some characters that you're constantly thinking of and you're like, I just want to hang out with these people or be in this world for years. You're constantly going back to it. That's the one you want to turn into a serial. Because especially if you look at the Eastern markets and places where serials are really big, uh, where hopefully they'll open up soon. 
um, they're long running. They're like hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of episodes or chapters, and they go on for a while uh, over the span of years. And that's what that type of readership I think expects is sometimes I won't even start reading your serial until you have like at least a hundred, couple hundred episodes up. So pick a story you can, you can see working with that length. And also just with, when it comes to publishing regular schedule, regular publishing schedule and pick one that works with you. I do once a week and I felt bad about it for a while because I was seeing all these people, oh, I do twice a week. And then I'm like, but I've made once a week work. It works for me. I can do it for the foreseeable future, you know, at least the next couple of years. So just pick something that you, even if it's tw- once every two weeks or once a month, what you can do and what you can, you know, for a fact, I can get this done. So something you can make long and regular, regular scheduling. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Our thanks today to Edward Adelon for letting us break down their episode. And that's that's a wrap. wrap. Okay. See, I actually haven't had one. I don't. I had the Berenstain, Berenstain, mm-hmm. but I think what is it actually? It's Berenstain, but I've always yeah. said it Berenstain. I think Berenstein. it's because yep. like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that happened. I did think Nelson Mandela <laughs> died, so there you go. I don't know why I thought that. I was like young though. So <laughs> what year was that when? But he was just in jail. It was he in the nineties, I think. Yeah, he didn't die. I don't remember what year. Yeah, he was just in yeah. jail. Yeah. I was like, what, six? I wouldn't have been like, oh, Nelson Mandela. No, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I was, um, I think I was, well, I don't remember. I may have been in high school or not quite yet. But anyway, yeah. I was like, I remember that happening. But it didn't happen. Okay. (laughs) Not stripper poles, JP. Why are you laughing? I I heard holes. And I was like, they just brought out holes? Like, what the hell is a hole? What are you talking about? I thought you were like, stay off the pole, children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Amazon now gives out free poles to all readers. (laughs) Stay off the pole. Stay in school. Okay. we'll we'll cut all of that or we won't (laughs) we won't we'll see um yes stay off the pole (laughs) let's talk to our reader yep (laughs) writer (laughs) nope our reader